you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. What a wonderful Christmas. I hope you enjoyed a wonderful holiday season. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I want to I focus in for the next 20 minutes on verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Um, this this past this month, December, and this is the fifth Sunday, but every Sunday in December, uh, we have celebrated the birth of the long-awaited Messiah. We've celebrated the baby born in Bethlehem. And uh, there's reasons why. I mean, he's the Messiah. His uh, birth was foretold hundreds of years before it took place. How many brought your Bibles? How many brought your Bibles? All right. Turn to Micah. That's in the Old Testament. Okay. That's before you get to Matthew. It's in the first front section. All right. Turn to Micah chapter 5. Now, here's what you have to understand about the Old Testament prophet Micah. This... This book was written 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 700 years. This is a prophecy about Jesus' birth. It's so specific, it tells us where the Messiah, where the baby Jesus would be born. 700 years before he was born, The prophecy details where he would be born. I don't know about you, but nobody prophesied about me 700 years ago. As as we say around here, you wasn't even a sparkle in your mama's eye 700 years ago. But the birth of the Messiah had been so anticipated and such a heavenly event that 700 years before it occurred, it was prophesied the city in which he would be born in. Notice what it says. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. This was prophesied about the coming of Jesus 700 years before he was born. Of all the cities in the world, Bethlehem, in fact, the Bible says you're little. You are, a, you are just a, at that time, you were just a village, just a village, not even a city, not even a town, just a village. And 700 years before it happened, it was prophesied that that's where he would be born. But not only that, turn to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, a more notable prophet in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 7. Verse number 14, this was also prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before it happened, God sends a prophecy to the people of the earth and saying, one day there's going to be a virgin 
that's going to give birth. Now, that never happened before, and it's not happened since. A miraculous sign that a virgin, a virgin gives birth to a child. And then once we see, once Jesus was born, once he was born, we see wonderful confirmations in the Bible about how great his birth was. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. You remember this. Hark the herald angels sing. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were greatly afraid. Then the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I don't know about you, I think my two children are pretty dynamic, but there wasn't no angel showing up when they were born. Now since then a couple of devils have shown up, but there wasn't no angels showing up when they were born. Yet angels show up. When Jesus Christ was born. His birth was foretold hundreds of years before it happened. And then once he was born, angels show. And not only that, scientists, astrologers, men of renown come from distant lands because they're moved by the stars to come and see this baby whose birth caused the universe to shift. Have you ever thought about the wise men had been following a star for two years? The universe shifted. The stars in the heaven shifted, announcing the birth of this baby. And we pick that up in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Most Bible scholars believe these wise men were scientists. They were astrologers. They were men of renown. And the Bible tells us they had to be something very special people of resources because when they showed up and said this, it got Herod's attention. These were unique personalities. These were superstars. They were rock stars. They were special people, men of renown. And they showed up and said something special is happening in this land. And it got Herod's attention, the king's attention. So prophets prophesy that this baby is going to be born. And then after he's born, we have these proclamations of how great he is. And then didn't we read this? Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Luke chapter 2. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This guy... Uh, the Spirit of God was on him. He was a man of God. And the, the Holy Spirit had told him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. 
So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Prophets prophesied hundreds of years before the baby showed up. When the baby showed up, angels came out of heaven to declare His glory. Men of renown came from other countries, supernaturally led by the the universe to proclaim His birth. And then all of a sudden, men of God in the temple who had been promised by God that they wouldn't die until they saw the baby, is suddenly declaring, this is the one. Then we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 36, Now there was Anna, a prophetess, a female prophet, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. She was 84 years old, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayer night and day. And coming in that instant, She gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of the baby to all those who looked for redemption in Israel, in Jerusalem. We could go on and on and on from Genesis all the way through, detailing scriptures that foretold of the birth of Christ. And it's, that's the reason we celebrate. That's the reason we've taken every Sunday in December to talk about the baby birth to talk about Christmas. That's the reason this is the church's greatest month. That's the reason we sing the Christmas carols. That's the reason we have the family get-togethers and all the parties and all the festivities and the gift-giving. That's the reason. It's because of this baby. It's because of this baby. His birth was a fulfilled promise. His birth was a miracle. Never before happened and never repeated again. His birth was the greatest moment in history. No man who has ever been born who's changed history like this man has changed history. His birth moved the heavens and the earth. His birth changed the destiny of our lives forever. It was a wonderful moment and we've taken all month to celebrate it. And if it would have just ended right there, everything would be wonderful. I like it when my novels and my movies end with the good guys winning. Don't you? If it would have just ended with the angelic celebration, the wise men's declaration, the prophet's proclamation, if it would have just ended with the prophecy foretelling and the baby showing up and the shepherds in joy and everybody having a good time and everybody excited and the old people saying he's the one and the old women saying he's the one and and everybody was happy, everybody was glad, everybody was excited. If it would have ended right there, that had been great. But it didn't. There's always a next chapter. And there's a next chapter in our life. Because not every day is a celebration. Yeah, we have moments of victory, and yes, we have moments of joy, and yes, we have moments of celebration. But there's always a next chapter in our life. My heart grieves when I see beautiful couples who start their lifelong romance with a beautiful and expensive wedding celebration. 
How many of you know these weddings nowadays are not just, let's go get this done. This is a year-too-long adventure. In fact, Nashville, Tennessee has become the, um, uh, what do they call it? Bachelorette uh, Party Headquarters of America. Nashville, Tennessee has become the Bachelorette Headquarters, Party Headquarters of America. More bachelorettes are having their bachelorette party in Nashville than any other place. When we got married, we just tried to find anybody who'd show up. We got them off the street. You don't come be stand in for the wedding here. Come help us here. I don't have no brothers and sisters. I didn't have nobody stand with me, so I was just paying people to come and stand by. Nowadays, it's a big thing. It's a huge thing. And um, I see that. I see it happening, and thousands of dollars spent on weddings. Thousands. Only to be saddened with maybe months later, these two who were madly in love and spent this thousands of dollars for this celebration, and then suddenly they're in the divorce court. It's over with. See, not every day is a celebration. Not every day is a prophecy fulfilled. Not every day is a miracle moment. Everybody has a next chapter. Or the new career opportunity. The promotion. The one we prepared for, studied for, sacrificed for. Finally arrives and we get that job we've been looking for. We're ecstatic with the feeling of achievement, but then the cutbacks. Or now, as they call it, the rebalancing takes place. And you get your walking papers. Or what about spending all your life saving, working hard and saving for a few years of retirement? And then the spirit of sickness and infirmity hits you and steals everything you've worked for. What about those people who I've talked to over and over again? We finally found a church. We finally found a church. We finally, finally found a church we love. We finally found a church that we can connect with. And three months later, they're gone. You know why? Because they realize there's some weird people at this church too. <laughs> or what about our precious babies who we celebrate every day while they're growing? Suddenly they get older and they embrace a pattern of behavior or a lifestyle that is totally different than the values that they were taught in home. What about the heartbreaking moment when your destiny, your future, my future, is adversely affected by people's actions that you had nothing to do with? People did something wrong or illegal, and it affected you and your welfare. There's nothing more more of a feeling of being unjust than that moment. See, not every day is an angel proclaiming how great it is. Not every day are there wise people from other countries coming to celebrate your moment of victory. Not every day... Do the prophets proclaim how great your life is? See, Jesus had a next chapter, and most of us have a next chapter as well. Maybe a tragedy or an unexpected financial collapse, a betrayal, or, or even caught in sin 
or shameful behavior. Every chapter of our life is not always a celebration. And neither was it for Jesus either. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 3, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. The angels celebrated it, but Herod didn't. Here's what you and I must understand. Soon after the long-awaited Messiah was born, right after the angelic celebration and prophetic confirmations, the satanic scheme is launched to steal, kill, and destroy the good that God intended. What does that mean, Pastor? It means this. When you have your greatest moment in life, When you have what you've planned for, dreamed for, prepared for, do not be shocked when Satan tries to come right after that and knock over your mountain of joy. Right after the birth, Satan's scheme was launched to steal, kill, and destroy everything God intended for good. There's there's two verses of Scripture Uh, And let me say it this way to you. Number one, somewhere in your next chapter, somewhere in your next chapter, Satan will reveal his plan to steal, kill, and destroy the dream and destiny God has planned for your life. Somewhere in your next chapter, Satan will reveal his plan to steal, kill, and destroy the destiny God has planned for your life. Here's two verses of Scripture. You've heard them before if you've been in church very long. Here's two verses. Jeremiah 29, 11. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11. Hey, Macy. Jeremiah 29, 11. Notice what it says. For I know the thoughts that I... This is God talking. He says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Notice what God says. I, I'm thinking good things about you. And he says, I have thoughts that I think about you, and these thoughts are about your future and your hope. God's saying, I've got a good plan for you. I've got a good plan. You know, we hear, we've heard it for years, God's mad at you. He ain't mad at you. He's got good thoughts about you. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed at you. He's not upset with you. It doesn't make any difference what you've done, what you said, where you've been. He still loves you. He paid the price for all that years ago on the cross of Calvary. He's reconciled us to himself. He's not accounting our sins against us. He loves you. Don't ever forget that. He loves you. And every day when you wake up, you need to understand somebody's gotten up before you who's been thinking good things about you. Now, the person in the bed with you might not be thinking good things about you. The person who's eating at your table might not be thinking good things about you. But I want you to know God, who was awake before you ever went to sleep, He was thinking good things about you. God is always for you. That's one verse of Scripture to never forget. But here's another verse of Scripture that you need to remember. John chapter 10, verse number 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. God's for you. Satan's not. Everything that God wants to give you for a good future, Satan wants to steal it from you. 
So understand, every time we have a chapter of celebration, every time we have a moment of victory, every time we have a taste of really great and everybody's excited and this is exactly the way it was supposed to be, this is what I dreamed about, this is what I prayed about, this is what I studied for, this is what I prepared for, this is what I saved for, understand there's a devil out there who's launched a scheme to try to yank that out of your life. God thinks good things about you. Satan wants to take everything that God has given you. And this shouldn't surprise us. I hear it often. Christians, I can't believe this happened to me. I just, what happened to you? You're not showing up at church. Well, I just seem to have lost my faith. Why'd you lose? Well, all this bad stuff. Well, what did you expect? There's a devil out there. He don't want you happy. A fulfilled Christian is contagious. When you're fulfilled, you're contagious. Confidence, peace, and joy attracts people. And the last thing Satan wants is you to have confidence, peace, and joy. If he can't keep you away from Christ, he'll make you miserable while you're in Christ. There's a devil out there who wants to steal everything that God has given us. And the Bible tells us that's going to happen. Notice what it says. Turn with me to 1 Peter. The book of Peter, the epistle of Peter. Now that's toward the end. That's over there close to Revelation, okay? Toward the end. Notice what 1 Peter chapter 5 says. This is the New Living Translation. It says, stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out. Watch out for what? Your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. You know what he's saying? There's going to come some bad days. There's going to come some difficult moments. There's going to come some days that the angels don't show up and sing. And there's going to come some days in which the wise men from other countries are long gone. There's going to be some days like that. I like what the New King James Version says. It says it this way, be sober, be sober. The New Living Translation says stay alert. The New King James says be sober. In the original language, the word sober is the correct word. The Apostle Peter is reminding us that people under the influence... People who are under the influence, people who are high, people who get buzzed, they become impaired mentally, emotionally, and physically. Likewise, we can become impaired spiritually with the influence of godliness, ungodliness that is in this world. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Good Christian people, families become intoxicated with this world. Christian people. Seeing it more now than I've ever seen it in my 40 years of ministry. This coming year, I'll celebrate 40 years of full-time ministry. I know I don't look past much past 40. But, why are you laughing, old man? Yeah, I caught you off guard. Smart aleck. I'm seeing something happen that I've never seen before in my life. I'm not being alarmist. I, 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 fear and alarm. I, I grew up 
where preachers use fear to get you to the altar. I can spot that tactic every time a preacher opens his mouth. So I'm not using it as an alarm. You don't hear me say stuff like this often. But one thing that's very concerning to me is that I'm seeing good, godly people being pulled away into behaviors, into actions that they used to know, they used to know was sin. And now they're being pulled away into it. And why is that? Because there is a deception taking place. People are not staying sober spiritually. They've become intoxicated with the world. Their spiritual senses have become drunk or intoxicated. The godliness, godlessness of this age is slowly and subtly causing once God-fearing believers to become drunk on the world. It's a scheme. It's a trap. They don't want to be this way. They don't intend to be this way, but they are being duped. We'd say it, they're being hoodwinked. Look at, look at Ephesians. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11. Look at Ephesians. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He said, put on, the, put on, the, on all of God's armor. Why to put it? Why put it on? So that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies. That word strategies there literally in the original language means the schemes. To be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Remember, God's got a good plan for you, but Satan wants to steal that plan. How does he have to do it? He has to come up with a scheme. And he has a scheme, he has a strategy. His strategy, it works on me, might not work on Devin. His strategy, it works on Bubba, might not work on Frankie. He's got a scheme, he's watched us for years. He's, he's seen where our weaknesses is, where our weaknesses are, and he has a strategy. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, put on God's armor. Now, notice what it says. Put on God's armor. You is understood. So what is this saying? Rhonda, you put on God's armor. Pastor can't put it on for you. Mama can't put it on for you. Uh, worship leader can't put it on for you. You put on God's armor. So it's something you and I have to do every single day. Put on God's armor. Why? So you will be able to stand firm against the strategies or the schemes of the devil. Now turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number... Now, Macy, you just graduated from MTSU, didn't you? Congratulations. You got your bachelor's degree in what? Education and psychology. So now you can figure your daddy out. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're going to go into teaching? I want to go back to school counseling. Oh, you're going to go back and get your master's degree? Mm-hmm. Well, Dad, more money. Here goes some more money. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at 1 Timothy. Well, congratulations on the bachelor's. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. Now notice this. They will follow, what's those next two words? 
deceptive spirits. They will follow deceptive spirits. Let me, let me, let me just teach you something in the next five minutes. Listen to this. Please just listen. Hang with me. Hang with me. Deceiving spirits. There are deceiving spirits in the world. And, and, and you're going to see it clearly here in just a second. But deceiving spirits influence us away from godliness and influence us toward the toleration of things the Bible calls sins. There are some of you in this room who used to believe certain things were sin. And today you take part in it. You tolerated it. You first started tolerating it, and now you're taking part in it. And you're offended if anybody says you shouldn't be doing that. What's happened? You've given in to a deceiving spirit. Are you a good person? Of course you're a good person. Do you love Jesus? Of course you love Jesus. But anybody can be deceived. That's why Peter says, stay alert. Stay sober. Don't be intoxicated with this world. Okay, Deceiving spirits always influence us away from godliness and will influence us toward the toleration of things the Bible calls sin. That's what a deceiving spirit will do. The word deceive depicts a person who was once on solid ground, but now they are morally drifting. A person who is going cross-grain against all that was once part of their belief system. That's a person under the influence of a deceptive spirit. Jesus talked about this. Jesus said deception... And listen, deception happens to good people. He said deception will be one of the main characteristics of the culture in the last days. In Matthew chapter 24, verse number 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. It happened 70 years later. Verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They asked him three questions. And Jesus answered and said to them, Notice the first thing Jesus said, Take heed that no one, what? Deceives you. The first thing Jesus responded concerning the disciples' question, concerning the timeline of the last days, is that take heed nobody deceives you. Deception is going to be the main weapon scheme Satan uses in these last days against people who love God. Deception will be the main scheme of Satan in the last days. Now, Jesus said that. Then you go on a few years later, the Apostle Paul makes an amazing statement in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 11. Listen to what he says. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. The word delusion 
depicts a culture. Now listen to me now. The word delusion depicts a culture that is strayed so far that it has become beguiled, bewitched, duped, and seduced into believing a lie in place of the truth. Now lock in for this one sentence, and then we'll start to close this thing. This period of deceitfulness will be so intense that people will believe what is false over what is obviously true. Even denying facts and truths that are common sense and that nature itself teaches. Who in the world would ever thought 10 years ago that anybody in their right mind would have any type of authority to say, I was born biologically a man, I look biologically a man, but I'm identifying with a woman, so therefore I'm a female. Who in their right mind 10 years ago, you know what we'd have said about that person? You are mentally unstable. But now we have been duped. Are they good people? You better believe they're good people. Should we make fun of them? Never. That's not the Christian way to handle anything. But the truth of the matter is, there has been such a deception unleashed on the planet by Satan, which is a sign of the last days, that things that are obviously true have now become not true because of deceiving spirits. We are living in that age, and Christians are being caught up in it. Christians are being caught up in it. So, Understand, following the angelic declaration, following the wise men coming from afar, following the proclamation, following the prophecies, following all the great celebrations and the jubilations and the birth of Jesus, there's a next chapter. Satan unleashes a torrent against you and I and against Christ to try to steal what God intends to do. And his main scheme is deception. His main scheme is deception. Now, look what it says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I'll close with this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he which has been born king of the Jews? For as we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. The scheme gets launched. We're going to steal it. We're going to destroy what God intends. Verse 7, turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. 
Then Herod, when he had secretly caused the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Verse 12. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Prophesied about. Angels talked about. Wise men showed up to declare. His birth was foretold 700 years before it happened. Godly people proclaimed it when they saw him. I can die now because God promised me I'd never die until I saw him. All these wonderful jubilation, proclamation, celebration takes place. And now all of a sudden the devil's trying to kill it. Verse 12, Then being divinely warned in a dream they should not depart to Herod, they departed for their own country. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, rise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined, determined from the wise men. So remember this. Number one, somewhere in your next chapter, somewhere in your next chapter, after your wonderful achievements and after our wonderful celebrations and after our wonderful victory, somewhere in our next chapter, Satan will reveal his plan to steal, kill, and destroy the dream and destiny God has planned for our lives. But I'll never forget this. Number two, the Holy Spirit is always, continually, every time, one step ahead of Satan. Every time, one step ahead. Satan tried to kill him. God appeared to him in a dream. Don't do this. Go this way. Go that way. Don't do this. God is always one step ahead of the devil. I don't have time to get into it. um, But as you go on and read the story, you'll realize that sometimes God, to keep you out of the throes of defeat and destruction will intercept your path and request and require you to go in a direction that is uncomfortable for you. God, why didn't God just kill Herod and let Joseph and Mary go back to Nazareth? Couldn't he have done that? Yeah, he could have, but that wasn't God's plan. God doesn't go around killing nobody. God intercepted and said, This is the scheme. I'm going to get you out of it. But sometimes that requires you to do something that's uncomfortable for you. 
The Bible says there's no temptation taking you that God will not make a way of escape. And sometimes your way of escape is not the plan you had planned. You just have to follow God. And sometimes it's not comfortable. But if you'll follow it, you'll eventually get to the destiny God has for you. Jesus ended up to the cross. Satan tried to take him out before he ever got to the cross. But Jesus followed the plan of God and got to the cross and we're saved today.